0: Welcome to Our Common Nature an exaltation of our living earth, an exploration of our niche within it, and an examination of the lasting solutions we will create by shifting our culture through care, wisdom, and working in community with the earth toward accordance with its way. In this space, we highlight place, building bridges, and finding solutions in the common ground on which we all stand. It is with gratitude and humility that we acknowledge that we are speaking, learning, and broadcasting from the ancestral homelands of the Mohican people, who are the indigenous peoples of this land. Despite tremendous hardship on being forced from here, today their community resides in Wisconsin and is known as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. We pay honor and respect to their ancestors past and present as we commit to building a more inclusive and equitable space for all. Hello and welcome back to Our Common Nature. Today we are joined by the esteemed Mary Reynolds, the author of We Are the Ark." To begin, Mary, if you wouldn't mind, please give us a little story about yourself and your journey and how you came to do the work that you're doing now.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me today. Um, I live in Ireland and um, I grew up on a small farm here and um, my relationship with nature was quite unusual when I was young. Um I made my connections in nature rather than with people. And um, there was one particular moment when I was young that I wandered off into the farm um, away from the house as such, up into one of the top fields. And I was probably five or six. And I um, wandered into a little field which, uh, you know, had a a kind of a four-meter gap in the high ditches covered in thorny shrubs and trees, um, to allow my dad's little tractor get in and I remember very distinctly walking into that field and the, um, the ditch closing behind me and when I looked back the, the gap had gone and the, the trees and the shrubs and the ditch had closed in and there was no way out and I couldn't understand what had happened and I was frightened and I you know we had a lot of freedom when I was young and I had six siblings I was the youngest and my parents worked full-time as well as being farmers so they really never knew where we were you know and um we came back for food and that was about it and um so nobody knew I was gone I was gone all day there was no way out of the field I couldn't get out and eventually I got distracted by the sunshine and I sat in the meadow in the middle of the field and I um I remember feeling like I was being watched and I noticed that it wasn't people that was watching me it was the plants and that they were leaning towards me and they all had their own personalities the same way that people do and um i was you know somebody they they kind of wanted my attention which i thought was unusual and it's only when i started writing my first book um many years later um a book called the garden awakening i remembered that time and i thought about it and thought about what is it that was happening there and I realised that it was a mixture of things. It was like the earth is like a great big heart and it got shattered into millions of tiny pieces when we started looking at the earth in terms of ownership instead of in terms of guardianship with, with the with the introduction of, you know, religions beyond the animist approach. And um, each of those little pieces has its own kind of personality and damage and um, and joy and, you know, um considerations the same way that people do and i understood that we are drawn to these places we don't choose them they choose us and they have the same types of damage um, to their personalities that we do and so these little pieces of the planet they they need our help to work on their health their restoration of their health on all levels you know And what happens when we do that work is that we restore our own health as well. Um, And it's a it's a it's a journey of a lifetime, really, you know, and um, it's the most important work really is restoring the one planet we have to live on. You know, and, um, you know, our Mother Earth, she's had enough of us, really, and she needs us to step up and take care of her. And many years later, I was sitting at my desk in Wexford in the southeast of Ireland, looking down over my lawn. And I saw a a fox run past with um, a little, a couple of hares chasing the fox, which was unusual. And it was a winter's morning and, you know, they shouldn't have been out. And so I kept watching the brambly patch they went into to see if they'd come back out. And I saw a little hedgehog running along the edge of the ditch in the same direction. And I thought there's something strange here. So I went back outside and I walked in the direction they were running from. And I live in a country area. And Across this tiny little road, on the far side of the road, at the end of my lane, there had been this really beautiful thicket of a field that reminded me of Sleeping Beauty's field, or Sleeping Beauty's wall of thorns, like it was impenetrable, and um it was full of blackthorn and hawthorn. It was a native, emergent woodland. Really, it was full of thorny plants, and it really had a strong energy and somebody had got planning permission to build a house at the top of that field and they'd gone in within minutes and cleared it out without any thought for all the creatures that called it home. And I stood there kind of horrified because I had done the same thing myself so many times. And so I went back inside and I started thinking about how can I work on changing my particular industry? Because um, all of us have a path in life and we've probably found ourselves... working in some area which is related to our path if we're lucky you know and so i said well how am i going to change this behemoth of an industry which is uses 10 times more chemicals than industrial agriculture per acre which you know people feel like they're connecting to nature when they're working in their gardens but most of the time unless they're growing their own food um gardening is not natural and it is actually quite damaging to the earth in these little patches we call our gardens so I set up a movement called We Are the Ark um because the story reminded me of, you know, an Ark of creatures, you know, and but I called it acts of restorative kindness to the earth because I don't want anyone to think it's any way religious or exclusive. It's it's like we all of us are the hope that we've been waiting for, you know? And if we take if all of us take one little the little patch of land that we have under our care, whether it's a windowsill whether it's a ranch, whether it's, you know, a tiny suburban lot, whatever it is, and we create corridor linkages, you know, native plant communities, um, wildlife supports. Um, we restore each of these patches to nature's, to true nature, to to the land's true nature. And not only will it affect us, it will, it will affect change. And it's, it's a movement which has spread around the world and it's a, it's it's quite quite a powerful, phenomenal thing, really, because we don't look for any money from anyone. All we ask them to do, we is me, by the way. I say we as if there's loads of us. All, all I ask them to do is to make their own sign from a homemade sign saying this is an ark to put up so that their neighbours don't shame them. And once their neighbours see that this is a little bit messy, it's not the usual society ticked, box you know the the box that we're all supposed to have this is control the feminine energy control the earth control the land so that it looks in a certain way and instead of that we have these beautiful wild places which are not abandoned because there's quite a lot lot of work involved in creating an arc and but it doesn't cost anything it just takes a little bit of work and it's about creating layers of life and you can still have a beautiful space it's just your intention is different and you're working with the land in terms of creating native plant communities and you're adding and supporting as opposed to implementing it,
0: you know? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So and uh, no, that's beautiful. Thank you very much. I've seen your journey described as from gardener to guardian and as you had just mentioned. Um is is there is that sort of what you're describing? It's it's kind of finding moving like you said, a, a shift of intention
1: it is once you realize that um it took me a while to to go back to that time when i was young and remember you know remember how alive all the sentient creatures are including the plants including, including the insects including the soil including you know consciousness is water water is consciousness and anything that contains water has consciousness in it and So we have decided only certain creatures deserve our guardianship and it's just a very narrow way of looking at things. And unless we return to the understanding that all life is under our guardianship, then, you know, the earth won't be able to maintain us anymore as a species, you know, and... Basically, if you look at every single species on this planet, it's, it's the Earth is a web of life. You know, it's a very obvious thing to say. I'm sure all your listeners understand that. But every single creature in that web has a really important role to play. And we do or don't understand those roles. And sometimes we discover even more connections between each creature. But the only ones that have no positive role or any, any important role is, is humans. So the only possible role for us to play, whether we had one in the past or whether we didn't, our only possible role now is to is to become the spiders at the center of that web and weave the whole thing back together because we're pulling it apart thread by thread. And if we don't cop on and start to reweave the, the web of life back together under our guardianship, um, we really are running out of time because people don't understand. They talk about climate change, cl- carbon taxes, all this stuff that most people don't understand, including myself a lot of the time. You know, I don't understand it. I I don't understand a lot of it. I don't understand why individuals are being blamed for it because it's, there's a hundred corporations in the world that are causing it and they're just throwing the blame at individuals. Now, I I know people want to help, so they will do whatever they're offered as being helpful you know, electric cars are greenwash, you know, it's all greenwash. Um, You know, the the, the lithium, cobalt, the minerals that are going into those batteries at their root is pure slavery, pure environmental destruction. And um, we just try and pretend that that's helpful, but we want to believe that that's helpful. But if you look behind a lot of these solutions that are being offered to us, they are solutions that are supporting the industries. They're not supporting the earth. They're not supporting us. So, you have yeah. to think, well, what can one person do to actually be of help and what you can do is you can you can you you can there are certain things you can do like you can get away from a bank that is you know investing your money into really dodgy things, for sure. example you can yeah. you know you can you can grow your own food, which is a big part of we are we are the ark you know mm-hmm. You can step out of the industrial fishing and farming system, which is incredibly destructive. It's killing everything on the planet, yeah. basically. Or you can, and really importantly, you can take your land and restore it back to its true nature. And you can encourage your neighbours and your communities and your local governments and your schools to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that will have a massive ripple effect. It'll help wildlife hugely create stepping stones in cities for wildlife that, you know, for pollinators that can only fly a certain amount without help, you know, yeah. for birds and creatures that need sources of clean water. All of the things that are part of an ark are really important sanctuary solutions. And so when people do this, the harvest, my brother, Paul, who lives in Seattle, he told me, he said once that hope from building, that, that, that the harvest from building an ark is hope. Ah. And that what happens is that people start to realize how quickly nature can recover if we just support her to do so, and removing all the non-native plants, which is very difficult, but it has to be done, and um especially the invasive ones. and you know that's that's what's really exciting about arcing, what we call arcing
2: mm-hmm.
1: It's like life gets restored so quickly, you know, and nature gets restored so quickly, and you you start to think, well, maybe we're not screwed. You know, Mm -hmm. how much of this, this can grow so rapidly within a few years, we can actually start to turn this around, you know, because the collapse collapse of biodiversity is much more, much more problematic than the carbon stuff, which is also problematic. I do understand that, but the collapse of nature is hugely problematic for us. It's how we get our food, our air, our water, our, our life comes from mother earth beneath us and she can't look after us anymore because we've worn her out so we have to step up and take care of her now that's our job and that involves taking care of all her other creatures mm-hmm. because that's who she is she's a system of creatures rooted and unrooted and that's that's what we need to do
0: absolutely i'm reminded of a few things when you when you speak on that i uh, speaking to the amount of time it takes for the recovery to happen um, we saw it even in the, during the shutdowns, global shutdowns of the pandemic, when you had dolphins in the in the canals of Venice again, or um, you know, use able to take over the the fields of of the UK, and um, just life found a way back. Um, in my own journey, uh, when I, I was born in the city in Brooklyn, and my folks, artists from the city, moved upstate um, after eight months after I was born to about a six-acre plot um, in a tiny little rural town that no one had ever heard of until the last five years. And um, the whole f- the whole back four acres or so had been a hay field for decades, um, almost a century, uh, after having been a, an orchard that had been taken down. And the, the field itself was divided uh, by a, a vernal stream, that uh, And then the, the north part of that side of that stream was an uphill that had all been part of the hayfield. And they decided to stop paying everything north of that stream in the uphill side, except for keeping uh, a, a, a mowed path just around the perimeter. And to me, it's always felt, because I was such a small child at the time, Growing up, it took only a couple of years for the shrub layer to take charge and the pioneer trees of like the sumac and, and um, the cedars to kind of take hold. And as a five to 10 year old, it still felt like a, a forest, but it was a young forest or even just shrubland. Now, 36 years later, it is uh, progressing into old growth species with oaks and hickory um, and you know, white pine having taken, you know, becoming the masters of the space. Uh, even just a few years ago, we were able to find morels growing in in season at the time, and I have a few friends of, that are trees in there. I, I could say, um, but it, the point there is that it's only been three decades, and it's already old growth again. These things can happen, and you know, as you said, this is home for uh, you know countless creatures and societies that we don't consider being society as humans. Um, and it, it really takes no time. And speaking to the climate crisis, we've spoken on another episode about how important photosynthesis is in balancing our addiction to combustion as a human species. And the more layers, the more time that we have leaves open, um, capturing that light and bringing that light and, and making it life on Earth is, is just time that we buy for ourselves in the face of this collapse, or even reversing it, hopefully, as you said.
1: Oh, I I, feel, I totally believe that's possible. That's absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. But if we only focus on keeping fossil fuels in the ground and we continue to destroy nature, we cannot reverse it. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's um, it's something which has been forgotten about is, is is that the restoration of of like you say, you know, the like that's a wonderful story that you've just told, and that will hold in people's minds more than any of the words that we use today. Is that image? Of you walking around in that forest which became a forest you know mm-hmm. um like that we have to keep fossil fuels in the ground for sure but the restoration of of the planet is 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 this kind of needs needs to happen hand in hand you know and sure. no one is really taking this seriously and. Um, yeah um I think it's starting to become more and more obvious, though, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. quite rapidly, I think people are realizing that we're losing things so quickly. And, sure. Um,
0: and we have this madness where, where people, through the, the a tech addiction, we're thinking that we can make oh, machines yeah. that pull carbon out of the air and then you do something with it or nothing with it. Apparently, when the Earth has already provided for us the solution, just in letting things be and letting trees breathe.
1: It's a fairly simple thing. If anybody is selling you anything as a solution, it's not a solution. Now, there are people who are coming up with really interesting solutions. I have a brother who's coming up with a really interesting solution for ending poverty in one generation, for example. Mm. Um, And that is a kind of an app which allows people access to things that they are cut out of in in the States. You know, Um, there are people who are doing things which are really interesting with tech, but generally any of those things like pretend trees or you know electric cars or any of that stuff they're not solutions like i do agree that electric public transport will be incredibly important but that's a different scenario you know um i mean in ireland there's almost no public transport it's quite shocking you know i mean people have driven into their cars because there isn't an alternative you know Mm. and yeah, but anyway, what are we talking about?
0: I'm just <laughs> It's fine. No, it sounds like it's pretty similar to the the circumstance we face here in upstate New York, where it's you have beautiful rolling countryside and you can only really access it if you have a car. Yeah. Um, it changes your quality of life living in these small towns dramatically. Like a lot of the newcomers, the, the city people who are moving upstate here, they are seeking those places that feel like a city still and still have those city amenities. And they are maintaining a sort of unconscious disconnection by that to the place that they're in um, by, unfortunately, I mean, do, making a smart choice by not buying a car, but then also surrendering to the structures that we've built that keep us separated and finding ways to encourage more uh, greater connection, not just of with the world, but also through public transport with each other. We're kind of forced to interface, hopefully beneficially and beautifully with each other in a way that you know reminds us how interconnected our communities actually are.
1: Yeah, I mean, all all the destruction is local. Mm-hmm. And so all the solutions can be local too. And um, restoration of local communities is at the core of all the solutions, I think, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely.
1: That's the way out of this.
0: Yeah. So you had mentioned... Um, an arc versus let's say a garden or even in america these lawns which is as much as you can call them i wouldn't even call them gardens um they're a bit messy what's it's, what's the what's the key there why is that mess so important
1: why is mess important because there's no life in a in a tidy space really mm-hmm. very little life um, life lies in the mess you know in the edges sure. all our lives are messy really you know um but like, you know, with our lives, we can we can also, you know, create beauty within the mess, you know, in an arc, you know. And that's about, you know, using the um, use Like if I design an arc for a client, um, you know, I listen to what their intentions are, what their requirements are. And then I listen to the land's intentions and requirements. And they're usually the same kind of carry yeah. on, you know, yeah. but um, it can create spaces for families within land, which shares the land with other creatures and um, you know creating pathways um actually creates ecotones and what i mean by that is that an arc is f- filled with layers as many layers as your space will require um because in a, in a in a in a small patch of land you know you need at least 1500 acres to build you know a restored ecosystem which contains you know all all the missing creatures like wolves etc and mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, in a small area of land, you can't have wolves or any of that yeah, stuff. Right. But you have to step in and become the wolf and become the missing, you know, whatever creatures are missing from your particular ecosystem. Sure. You have to carry out the services that they provide. Now, that sounds complicated, but it's incredibly simple. All it means is creating layers within your arc, because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, if you did have the large herbivore mammals in your arc. Mm -hmm. they would be grazing down and creating like what you would call a lawn or a mown pathway, you know? Sure. Um, And that's, that's one layer. And then you'd have some bare earths to every year you'd create some, you know, areas of bare earth, just little areas that will allow annual weed seeds to come out, Hmm. which will have specific relationships with the insects. Yeah. Um, You will have, um, you know, an arc meadow, which is whatever um, native, mix of herbs and grasses you can manage if you mm-hmm. have if you have a seed bank in the soil which is infested with non-native invasives then you're going to have to bring them in and take out the invasives um and it's going to be a constant battle but it's a battle worth fighting because we're fighting for our lives here yeah. so people might complain about complain about this being a problem it's much more of a problem if we don't have a planish and each patch of it is important and sure. each battle is each each little battle is important in this massive kind of undertaking we have you know and battle is the wrong word but when it comes to invasive non-native species it feels like that people feel like they're fighting them but the thing is they don't they don't move at 100 miles an hour and you can you can do it like even patches of it and keep going and pushing them back and back and back and it's not impossible you know and anyway, so then you have your ark meadow and then you have your scrubby you know brambly shrubby area and you have your emergent woodland and your woodland you know yep. and it's like they are all the layers and 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 the the, the all the life lies in the edges between those layers and the, the edges between those layers are called ecotones and the creatures all live in those areas kind of thing you yeah. know and, and so you can create ecotones by designing them into a space like having pathways Having areas of of scrub, having areas of woodland, having and adding in the supports for life, then like ponds and sure. dry stone walls and um, dead wood, dead hedges, you know, mm-hmm. and understanding that you don't need to keep tidying, and that when the leaves drop, their leaves that that's actually really important for yeah. so many creatures to finish their life cycles or stay warm for the winter. It's the earth's winter but winter blanket, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's and about work and understanding. Sorry. No, the- oh, yeah,
0: I, just to piggyback <laughs> off that, that's, it's, the leaves dropping are the trees feeding themselves over time as well. So if, okay. if they're pulling all that nutrient and their time scale is different from ours, they're not going to pop it right, popping it right in their mouths takes the, the course of two to three years sometimes, depending on how much rainfall and how, uh, how the, the decomp- decomposer is present or not. And if we, you know, rake them away... Then we're da- pulling a plate away from them just as they're trying to sit down to to get it at so it's 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 a lack of awareness I think we we have a, a little phrase here uh, n- a nature deficiency disorder it's kind of a, a, just a, an ignorance to the the ways things actually are th- through this centuries of disconnection that we've kind of worked into our culture as we call it um thank you
1: yeah, absolutely that's a great great term i love that
0: um yeah so who can make an arc who has is is accessible to everyone or do you need land
1: yeah. well no because um if you have a balcony or a windowsill you can still create an arc like you know mm-hmm. uh, like it's been proven that like pollinators for example as part of the web of life they 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 can't can't manage in these massive motorway strips called cities where there's no garages or service stations or whatever you call them over there. I can't remember. What do you call them over there?
0: Gas stations? Gas stations, yeah. Yeah.
1: They can't keep going, you know, they need support. So um, if all of us turned our roofs, our walls of our buildings, like that's probably a step ahead, but pretty soon we're going to be, Turning everything on its head in order to support nature in every way that we can um because it's going to become more and more important but in the meantime if you want to if you want to do something positive and give yourself some hope and start to create some true connections with the natural world if you you know have a balcony um or a little windowsill or whatever it is even if you get a you know a long box full of soil and you plant it full of you know, um, say milkweed to support the monarch butterflies, or whatever you know native um, plants and wild herbs that you can find locally. Because local is is, and I know it doesn't always work like that in big cities, and you might have to go further afield. But as as a core kind of purest attitude to arcing, mm-hmm. you know, insects in particular have have developed if they they evolved alongside their native plant partners. Yeah they have local evolutionary adaptations to the local plants and Mm -hmm. so if you bring in plants from further away the local insects tongues might be too short or too long for some of the plants that you bring in so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: everything we do has a knock-on effect so ideally you want to work with local native stock but it's not always that possible or simple so if that isn't possible Jen, just get local get get native Plants yeah. um, as, as close as you can, and make sure they were grown without chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's this huge kind of drive to support the gardening industry, which involves planting plants for pollinators. Mm-hmm. And generally, those plants are not native. Yeah. And uh, generally, they're not organic, and they don't contain the correct chemical compounds to support the insects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they 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 haven't evolved alongside them. It's a little bit like putting a fast food restaurant out in your garden. You will find the pollinators are attracted to them in massive, massive waves. So -hmm. they'll be covered in them. So it's a bit like, and it's like, it's like if you put a fast food restaurant in your house, your kids are going to go there rather than go to a a whole meal, you know, like their dad or their mum has actually created for them. You know, it's not as nice as the tasty fast food, which is easy. But it doesn't contain the correct chemical p- compounds and nutrients that they need. And it also removes their ability to create a new generation of their own species because we push out the native plants because we consider them to be weeds or not impressive, you know, whatever it is we, we've been told. Um Because they grow too easily and too readily. And so the garden industry cannot sell them to you, you know. And so mm-hmm. generally... Um, so they try and push this narrative that the pollinator-friendly plants are your best option. But, um, you know, if the insects have, have specialized, mostly they've specialized. Some of them have, have generalized and they can eat lots of plants, but yeah. mostly they're specialists and they can only eat one or two native plants. And what I mean by that is that their larvae, when they lay their eggs, that their their larvae can only eat those particular native plants because plants are really good at defending themselves they're filled with chemicals to stop things eating them mm-hmm. so the insects focus their attention over multiple you know generations yeah. to only eat this particular plant so that they can adapt and not be killed by it and so they, they they seek out those native plants that they've that they've created relationships with they lay their eggs there their larvae create a new generation of their own species and off they go and birds are dependent upon these. I mean, you have this amazing scientist etym- entomologist over there called Doug Ptolemy, and he has written yeah. a couple of books called um, nature's best hope and bringing nature home. And like everyone over there should have his books because they're just brilliant. You know, like I go a little, little further than Doug, but if you can manage to do what Doug is endorsing and he gives all the reasons behind it in a brilliant and scientific manner, you know, um, you're, you're way ahead. Um, yeah. He yeah, just did a
0: talk was- here not too long oh, ago. He did. Yeah. No. So it's funny. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I thank you for g- going so deeply into that. I was about to ask what, why native was so important. And you explained that very beautifully. Um, so, what are your thoughts concerning some of the other parallel movements in regard to our approach to working with the natural worlds, like um, regenerative agriculture? or um, design methodologies like permaculture are these things that you employ or do you kind of have any kind of considerations around those
1: yeah i mean um half of any arc if you have the space is supposed to be used to grow food Mm -hmm. Um, and if you don't have the physical ability to grow food or you know the time then to offer that space to friends and neighbors um, family who don't have any land to work with to grow food and build communities around growing food. And so permaculture is an amazing um, resource. All the solutions lie there, really. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing is regenerative farming is absolutely the solution. Um, people keep kind of trying to, to, you know, say it doesn't work or whatever. Of course it works. You know, it's been proven to work. It's just that, that the farming lobbies don't want it to work. And um <laughs> The the thing about it is that um, the sentient creatures that we have under our care, um, it's not okay the way we're treating them on any shape or form. And you're, you're eating that karma, like, you mm, know, yeah. and it's just not, it's not acceptable.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: no way of looking at that. And people are so kind of cushioned away from the reality of where their food comes from and the cruelty involved in creating their food. Um, yeah it's really important that we step away from those systems and you can't fight these systems because they're juggernauts. But mm. what you can do is create your own system, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and that will grow because people are tired of the juggernaut. Sure.
0: Yeah.
1: And they want something else, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's interesting too, how through understanding like approaches like permaculture, we, can find so many solutions made out of the problems that exist where for instance, we have these confined animal feeding operations for the the major, you know, meat industries that um, where they take the weight, the animal waste and, and push it into lagoons and those lagoons contribute to the algae blooms and all this. Whereas if you just let the animals on the grass and wander, Rome, as they would naturally, they're providing a, an important fertility service to the to the ecosystem that they're within. You couple that, including with, us, including, including. us, yeah. yeah, and and you couple that idea, you know, instead of having it be just grass, give them some shade, put them under some oak trees or something, it's something that you can derive a, a, a protein from through the nuts, and then you are producing protein in two different ways on the same piece of land in ways where you're cutting out. Um, the need for fertility inputs and the need for uh, really focused, you know, heavy amounts of pruning because maybe the animals will do that for you, um, and all again on the same piece of land potentially in ways that over time create a more robust system that doesn't need, you know, the the the, the shot in the arm upkeep of of the chemical fertilizers and and the pesticides. Um yeah. I've had a vision where of doing something just like that, and then to attend to this need for meat that people have for some reason, um, managing them on horseback, and getting the getting humans in, you know directly involved in the caretake in in and living alongside these animals in a way where, you know, we don't necessarily want the wolves to take it all, so we have to kind of protect them, but also observe the service that the wolves provide as well, maybe even. Allowing some loss or loss or um, sacrifice or contribution to the wolves' support by having them have some access there, uh, all while converting wasteland, kfo's monocrop culture into a uh, unified, diverse, uh, productive for for human society and for the natural societies as well. Um, it's yeah. just a, a matter of rethinking, I think.
1: Yeah, you you have to build these systems. Mm -hmm. We can't fight what's there, and they and the solutions are already out there. Like you say, those solutions are there, and um, and it's kind of exciting just to ignore all the crazy people and just to start Mm -hmm. a new world because that world is dying, and that's why people are so so um, what's the word? Protective of it. You know, Mm -hmm. the the more entrenched they become the more obvious it is that it's all fallen apart, you know? Sure. But yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of an exciting time to be alive really, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Terrifying. Um Because I think it's becoming more and more obvious that our so-called leaders are, they're not leading, you know, they're only leading us over the edge of a cliff really. And mm-hmm. um, people are starting to realize we can't depend on them really. It's up to us. Sure. Um, so we're Absolutely. all got we all have to step up and become the hope that we've been waiting for.
0: You know? yeah I, and we are. I appreciate your your approach to this arc um, as as a movement. and I wonder I, I I see hopefully that there's without it being too easily co-opted, that there's room to move the market, move move the intention, move the interest um, and the demand on the consumer side. Toward the value that uh, having a robust ecology might bring, and you kind of have a gardener-to-guardian mindset. But as an American looking at the gardening culture in the UK and in Ireland, I'm somewhat envious because it's something that is almost an, uh, a, an everyday thing. Whereas here, it's the everyday is just you know get out the lawnmower and the and the weed whipper and keep the keep it cut, keep it pruned, so you can see and, and not not And Maybe hire a landscaper or, or someone to possibly put in a couple of nice foundation shrubs or or you what know are you
1: talking about that's that's exactly what goes on over here it is
0: okay I don't <laughs> know maybe maybe my own viewing it sort of seems like you have a little bit more uh, appreciation for the the knits and pieces of of, of really. having an actual garden no it's the same mm-hmm. yeah well
1: right. it's bad here and um yeah I, but I think it's it's changing. Mm-hmm. with people like yourself and, and a newer generation that have, don't understand that anymore, you know?
0: Yeah, I I, I kind of hope to see that too. And as we have more means here, I'm seeing, even just yesterday, I had a great um, consultation with a, a young couple who moved to the area that I, I go in th- feeling like, you know, ready for them to know nothing. And they were already had all the, uh, plenty of the base answers already figured out. And their questions to me were, we know we want to have a little more space into the woods, but we also want to keep as many trees as possible. What would you say about, say you have three acres total to work with, one of which is the house right on the road, and just beyond that one acre is heavy woods, which have some diversity, but not too terribly much, medium to old growth. They, they want to, the client wants to get into the woods, but also wants to kind of have it have a little bit more light enough around the house so that they can have their kitchen garden and you know m- not have to keep cutting back to reseed their lawn just for the around the entertainment space. What would you say to them as far as which trees to choose to leave or to take?
1: Well, there's a mixture of answers to that. Um, sure. If there, if 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 you had the full web of life, there would be openings in that woodland because you know. That's what would naturally happen. So again, they have to step in and become all the missing creatures and create those woodland glades, you know, which allows more light in, creates more layers, allows the shrub layer and the herb layers back because the light needs to come in.
2: Yeah.
1: And I would I would walk around, I'd spend my time, I'd 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 involve the trees in the decision. I'd tell them what you were at and I'd just and I'd make Difficult decisions, because that's the problem with being a guardian or a parent. You have to make difficult decisions, you know, or else you're just being, it's, its you're not really taking responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult, like, you know, so go and find the weaker trees, the ones that might benefit, you know, that will allow the stronger trees more light, you know, make those decisions, you know, maybe ring some of them and allow them to become standing deadwood, which mm-hmm. is a massive Ecosystem in itself, and um, yeah, just step up and make decisions that allow you to actually increase the amount of habitat and life in there. And once you explain all this to the plants and to the creatures and to the land, there won't be come back on you. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like it, it, like people think I'm talking like a complete lunatic. But all these creatures are sentient, and I always noticed that since I was a kid. And We seem to think that for some reason, because we're not rooted into the ground, we're more intelligent, you know, Um, (laughs) but we're just walking plants without roots. You know, that's just (laughs) who we are. And we're walking around for most of our lives trying to find where to put our roots down. And we're inside out, you know, all the creatures that are in the soil are are in our guts. If we're healthy, you know, everything is. um, So we're just like little patches of earth balled up in one Our roots are cut off and we're sent off, you know.
0: In a skin sack. Why
1: would we treat sentient beings like plants as being different from a sentient being like um, a person or uh, an animal? I mean, Mm -hmm. we live in pure magic and we're surrounded by um, consciousness in all shapes and forms. And our job is to recognize that and work with it and work with it with kindness and um kind of guardianship like go back to that word and go look i have to make this decision you know give the plants if if you're going to kill one of them give them 24 hours tell them what's happening tell them to withdraw their energy back into the earth and they will do as much of that as they can but it's a different scenario if you just go in and make a bland decision i'm going to cut a path through here without any conscious awareness of their lives then you know you're at nothing again you have to take it slowly take your time, you know, listen to the land, listen to the plants, see what needs to be done to support life. And that's, that's our job. You know, the other option is to step off the planet, all of us all together, and then (laughs) they'll all be grabbed, you know, but if we want to live here in harmony, in abundance, um, then that's our job.
0: Yeah. We have the opportunity to morph ourselves from being a parasite, sort of society, to being the true protectors and stewards here. I like that idea of us being at the center of the web. And I still know, I've met people who still talk about it as a chain, where we're at the top of the food chain. And and that's a total disregard to the notion, one, that you will die, and you will become food for the worms. And who's who's at the top now? You know, it's we're all within it, and we're all part of it. And there is a, a greater value in surrendering to that and accepting our place within that than there is to try to fight always to stay on top, it Great. seems. Yeah. Very good. Thank you very much. Um, so what are your hopes then for the future of the movement of of We Are The Ark?
1: Um, well, I'm hoping that we'll wipe out the gardening industry altogether. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it will become um, an arc industry instead.
2: Uh-huh.
1: You know, I mean, if enough people come on board this movement, um, you know, and Doug Tallamy's homegrown national park movement. And, you know, enough people understand that this is the way to go, then the industry will shift, like you say, to become an arc sporting industry. If they want mm-hmm. to survive, then they'll change, you know. And so it'll all be become it'll all be about native plants and restoration and growing food, chemicals and fertilizers and all that rubbish will be gone. You know, it'll be about ponds and life wildlife sports and and that's all gonna happen, you know. It's only a matter of time, but you know, the industry is incredibly entrenched and it makes so much money. Um, I'm surprised they haven't kicked me off the edge of a cliff yet, you
0: know. <laughs> Hopefully you're hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> I am <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, so um how can someone get involved in the movement?
1: Well, there's a website there which has all the information on it. Um and then I also wrote a book because um people prefer books and you don't have to buy the book, but you can get it in your local library. It's really, really, really beautiful. You can, Yeah, um, I
0: love it. It's a beautiful it's book.
1: Of, it's full of illustrations and stuff because mm-hmm. I wanted it to be like a fairy tale book so that people keep their hearts open when they're reading it because mm-hmm. it's a new way of approaching life. So it's good for people to see the kind of fairy tale imagery and kind of approach it with that open-hearted, childlike energy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yeah, the book has more information in it, I guess, because I had to plump it out a bit. Um, but the the website has enough to get you going, you know. Sure. And and that's all you need. And it's, we are the arc dot org a r k, um, and there's how to build an arc for schools, for homes, you know, you know, industrial kind of situations, businesses, farms, um, and you know, it's not like I have all the solutions. I don't, but I have this solution, and this is one industry. It's my industry as such it's the one that i've worked in for many many years now Mm -hmm. um, i think everybody needs to step up in whatever industry they're working in and take it on and go well how can we turn this into a positive thing rather than the negative thing so that's exactly what you were talking about earlier is how can you take a problem and turn it turn it into a solution like permaculture tends to do um so that's what this is
0: beautiful thank you is there any anything else you'd like to plug or say while we're here or you want to stay hard to find
1: oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so i don't think so i can't think of anything else oh if you if you if you want to join the facebook group there's over twenty thousand people from all over the world and they share their arcs it's called we are the arc and it's a really nice community which is uh you know people ask questions and get a lot of support from other people on how to and i don't we i have a great bunch of people who helped me um manage that group and they were all original archivists on the on the site and so um they helped me keep it kind of positive and because we've had enough of the doom and gloom we all know we're screwed so we don't tend to go on about that and we don't we don't allow allow that into the situation because really people just need somewhere they can go where there's some hope and that's kind of what we're hoping to provide there so yeah that's a nice thing to do, and actually, there's a lot of people who are who are approaching their homeowners associations in the states, and they are getting around them, um, because there are people everywhere who want to be part of the solution. So it might look like you're not going to get anywhere, but having a conversation and explaining to them what you're doing will make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I've noticed in some recent work with municipalities and common councils, etc., that really all it takes to get something done in your locality is a a pushy community member who has something on their mind, who shows up to the meetings uh, consistently and keeps making the calls. So yeah. 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 Thank you you again, Mary. This has been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you very much, James. Yeah. We'll
0: put all the information in the show notes and, and hopefully we can make this whole world a big arc.
1: Brilliant. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach out with any comments or questions, feel free to email us at ourcommonnaturepodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at our.common.nature.